Hello, I'm Tony Cambrown. <laughs> and I'm Benedict Evans. There you go. Let's run with that. <laughs> and well, you did ask how we should introduce it, if we should do something different. I'm sorry. I had to, I, I'm never asking again how we kick off a podcast. <laughs> well, I, I identify as Tony Cambrown. Um, so <laughs> I, I thought what we would talk about is um, I am deep in doing a sort of what I do every year, which is a sort of an annual presentation that tries to say, what story would I tell about technology? What would I say is happening in technology now if I was thrown into a room with the head of one of the world's 20 biggest companies or, you know, politician, prime minister or someone, and they said, well, what should I know about tech? You've got 20 minutes. Obviously, I wouldn't get 20 minutes, but what would I say about tech? Um, what's interesting? Can I just ask also, your presentations, do you look back on the year? Do you do any predictions of what's coming or do you look at just like this is the state of it right now? No, I don't. How do you approach I that? I don't do this is what's going to happen. That might be a good marketing okay. book. But I think the questions are more interesting than the answers. Yeah. And, you know, the observations and the, the suggestions yeah. as to what to pay attention to, I think are more interesting or at any rate I'm, I'm better at than saying, Hey, you know, Amazon's going to buy this. Well, maybe, but I that's you know, I'm not that that, that interests me less. I just don't think like that. Um, you know, there are people who do. I mean Scott Galloway does that kind of thing, you know, and you know, it's you know, he's 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 making a commitment, you know, he might be wrong, but you know, it's just not what I'm interested in. The, my, I suppose my starting point is that you know, here is all of this stuff that's happening, here are all these charts, here is all this data, so what? How do you draw a thread through it? How do you not so much cut through the noise as kind of shape the noise into some stories and give you ways of understanding how to look at all of that noise, how to look at all those individual stories? Mm. Um, because there's a great quote from Voltaire that um, if all you can do is tell me that one barbarian king defeated another somewhere in the Central Asia, um, what use are you to the public? What does this tell me? Who cares? So if all you can tell me is that Amazon has ads now, or that there's a new fast fashion app from China, who cares? This is not interesting to me. Factually correct. Why? Yeah. What is the framework and the structure and the way of understanding what's happening and the kind of the underlying shifts that are going on? Mm -hmm. um, and for, for four or five years, I did this every year, and I called it something like mobile is eating the world, because mobile was like the biggest and most important and most interesting thing happening in tech, certainly in consumer tech. Now it's happened. And for the last couple of years, I've done a presentation which is much more sort of here are um, a broader sense of what's happening in technology. Last year, I did a presentation that was sort of started by talking about everything that was happening in retail, consumer goods, advertising, marketing, all the ways that those were being kind of unbundled and broken apart and reconfigured. And that's sort of 20 or $30 trillion of, of spending. Um, and looked at how that was then expanding into questions of solar and the environment and China and India yeah. and regulation and what all the kind of the broader consequences might be. And, you know, I think that was a fairly successful presentation. Um, you know, I look back at some of these and, you know, I think, oh, that was a great slide. I should use that slide again. Sometimes I look at it and I go, yeah, that slide took me ages, so I used it, but actually I didn't need it, um, which is always the trap. And so now, I'm, I, as I said, I'm sort of sitting and trying to work out, well, what's if, if I threw you into a room and said, what's happening in tech now? What would you say? Because the answer isn't just metaverse or regulation or crypto or VR or e-commerce. It's many things. But what's the framework for understanding what's really happening? 
It's many things that might tie in together that might have nothing to do with each other. It's many things that might have a common thread or might mm. not have a common thread whatsoever. Or it's also many things that might have wider context that explain to us why this is interesting. I mean, I was saying this to you this morning that I'm more and more fascinated by the fact that every tech newsletter, every tech journalist is not actually writing about tech and they're talking about, you know, Netflix and sports. And actually, a lot of tech people are getting into Formula One these days as well, which mm. is also fascinating um, for a variety of reasons and not specifically because it's a tech story or maybe it is. I mean, I've certainly had this experience myself, you know, when when Apple launched a watch and I thought, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be a luxury goods analyst now. Like, what the <laughs> hell do I know about the watch market? I mean, it's, it's not that hard to find out a certain amount about the watch market, but... But you do get into the space of all of these non-experts about these industries that they're not expert in trying to correlate and yeah. trying to pull some threads from it, which is absolutely fascinating. It's also the plague of Silicon Valley is, you know, the, I, I have a degree in computer science, therefore I'm an expert in all the world's problems and it's easy for me to solve, you know, peace in the Middle East. Um, so I immediately understand, you know, Chinese popular culture because I read something about it once and I'm on Twitter. Like, and so you have to kind of guard against that. I mean, we've done several podcasts on the theme of we don't know anything about China. So what do we say about it? Um, but but that I mean that, I think that also sort of reflects you know partly reflects Mark Andreessen's line the software is eating the world. It also I mean and I think you know you know it's sort of fascinating to look at something like um, particularly Netflix because I mean I, I've said sort of several times I think Netflix and Tesla are sort of a pair because mm-hmm. Netflix all the questions are TV questions like what shows what right structures what talent how do they compete with Disney what's HBO going to do you know. What's their share of production in the UK? What happens if France starts regulating them? Not that anyone cares about the French market, but, you know, what does it mean that you now have effectively a global satellite TV channel, which is one way of thinking about what it is, a global, single global media property in a way that you've never really had before. Uh, those are all TV industry questions. There's no technology questions in any of that. It's happening because of technology. But those aren't TV questions. Those aren't tech questions. They're TV questions. The pair of that, of course, is Tesla, where, you know, half the questions are car industry questions and half of them are software questions. And indeed, you know, the argument about Tesla, the Tesla stock is the bulls think it's a software company and the bears think it's a car company. Um, and the maniacs mm-hmm. and the cultists think it's an energy company or a solar company or some crazy thing like that that's not worth anything. Um, but the, the point is there's so many different things. You know, suddenly, you know, as a tech analyst, you know, in the 90s, you had to understand selling accounting tools to big companies because that was what Microsoft did. And now you have to know about watches and fast fashion and cars and hotels and taxis and labor law and um, how they all connect Chinese, China, Taiwan politics and the CCP and all these different questions. Um, You know, what does it mean that Amazon has as now? You know, what is Xi'an? How should I think about Xi'an? Is that a tech company or is that a fast fashion company or both? And I don't know, like both. And so you have this sort of sense of, as I said, there's so much noise. There's so many things happening. What is some sort of framing or shaping way of of thinking about all of those different things or working out why are those interesting? What is a framework for you to understand the next Mm -hmm. story that will happen a week after um, all of this rolls across, um, across your desk and you've read my 100 slides? It's it's interesting that you put it in that in that space. Like I love writing about politics, tech, and then Formula One. And what I keep realizing is every time I sit down to write a piece about Formula One, I'm like, well, this is actually a piece about technology. This shouldn't be in like mm. this bucket. Or when I start writing about something in politics that's happening right now, I'm like, actually, this has nothing to do with politics. This has got to do with the sport, sporting regulation, sporting. It's just I I'm having and I'm struggling with how to bucket the types of pieces that I want to try and write, mm. and realizing that oh crap, they're all sitting at the intersection of 
of all of these worlds colliding together. So how are you going to think about your presentation then? Is there anything that's coming to mind? And <laughs> easy question. How do, how, do, how do I avoid giving you fear with the 300 slides I saw this year? Yeah. Um, you know, just giving you the shock and awe. Pinterest for charts. I mean, I have Pinterest for charts. You know, I've got all the charts. I don't know. I mean, I think the framing that I'm thinking about increasingly, and I hope that this will sustain 100, 100 slides, but you will see. Um, well, there's two different framings. As one framing is just to say five questions in tech. What is the metaverse? What is Web3? What's happening in China? What will happen in regulation? What will happen in social? Mm-hmm. Maybe there's maybe more questions than that. Are they connected? Or are they just for you? Are they st- to s- Maybe they are to some extent. But there's just, there's just five com- almost completely different. I mean, okay. VR and metaverse. Metaverse and crypto sort of overlap a little bit. China doesn't. Um, regulation doesn't really. Um, so you can just say, like, here are five questions in tech. So you could write that or you could do that as a conversation. And um, the other thing you can do, which is, 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 to come at this, is, a, is to come at this from a much more consciously structural thing, which is like what I'm, I'm leaning towards, which is to think about sort of phasing. Mm. And so you could say, like, what is it that everyone in tech is obsessed by? What is, where is all the geek energy at night? What are all the side projects? And the answer clearly is A, VR slash metaverse, B, Web3 slash crypto, C, a bunch of slightly smaller things ranging from the games become much bigger to low Earth orbit satellites, plant-based meat, autonomous cars, machine learning projects, um, or, um, computational biology, a whole bunch of sort of front, basically not quite frontier science, but sort of next technology stuff. Most of which the most optimistic people will say will become mainstream consumer things, something between 2025 and 2030. And, you know, bear in mind the iPhone launched in 2007 and the sales didn't take off until 2010. Like it did take, it does take three to five years to go from the first thing. And there is no AR headset. If Apple launches an AR headset at WWDC next summer, like that will not have hundreds of millions of users next year, the year after. It will take time. So there's that you've got, so you've got this first framing, which is here are all the things that people in tech are obsessed by and what are these and what are ways of understanding those mm-hmm. and how do they intersect? And then, you know, what is it that everyone's starting a company to build? Like, what are all the actual tech companies doing built that are being created now? And some of them are LEO, comp, bio, crypto, metaverse stuff. Yes. But sort of the other half of them, or probably three quarters of them, are enterprise SaaS workflow, two-sided networks, marketplaces, um, digital transformation. They're basically continuing in the curve of deployment of ideas that people in tech were obsessed by 10 years ago. So, I mean, I keep thinking about Frame.io, which is a, a basically a SaaS tool for collaborating on video. So everyone who needs to touch a piece of professional video can look at it and comment on it, and all the workflow is captured in software. And it's basically Google Docs for video, which is an idea from 2005, except you couldn't do it for video in 2005. And, you know, the computing and the bandwidth has caught up on the one hand, and on the other hand, the adoption and the route to market and everything else has caught up. And so what you've got is like 15 years deployment of an idea from 2000, 2005, 2010. And we're going to carry on. Right now, somebody has had a brilliant flash of insight for some market where no one has realized you could do that to for that. No one has realized you could do, you could take a concept that was being funded for other things in 2010 and apply it in some market with some new way in some new thing. 
in 2022. Yeah. So basically, the technology has finally caught up with some of the workflows and processes that we had in mind. Yes. Yes. Or the ideas, you're just deploying it in new places, in That's new markets, it. solving new problems. But it's an idea from 2005 or 2010, basically. Then the third category would be um, everything that's happening in retail and TV and advertising, which is ideas from 1995. <laughs> Let's go even further back. Yeah. Yeah, like maybe we could stream video on the internet. Have you thought about that? That might be quite interesting. It sounds like a crazy idea, but maybe one day that will work. And that's what Netflix is, and it's what's happening to Hollywood right now. It's Music industry. Why Amazon. Amazon spends over $10 billion a year buying original TV content. It's everything that's happening in advertising as a consequence of that. Um, everything that's happening in retail. Um, this is stuff that's been building slowly for 20 years. And But if you are in that... Tw- if you're in that $20 trillion retailing industry, um, having a good website is not a tech conversation anymore. It's a retailing conversation. You know, what's your shopping cart abandonment rate? Well, that's not a, really a tech question anymore. That's a, are you a good retailer question? That's like saying, you know, how full is the car park at your supermarket every day? That's not it's really an urban yeah. planning or a car. That's not a car question. That's a retailing question. You know, does your supermarket have a car park? That's not really, you don't need to hire people from Detroit to do that. Or you probably shouldn't. Like that's that's a retailing question, and so you've got that kind of phasing now. Of course, the big kind of the cynic would say, and meanwhile the regulators are focusing on stuff that was happening in about 1990, um, which is almost literally true. It's like there are Nazis on the internet. Okay, welcome to Usenet. Um, and so that sense of that that sequencing, and that of course I think gets you to a way of thinking about something like Shein. Mm. And so here is an app that now has passed Zara and H&M in Google Trends. And it's at the top of the retailing category in pretty much every app store on earth. It's a fast fashion app. This is an idea from the 90s, except that they've taken it a step further, like actually incorporating the, the app browsing activity in the app into their supply chain. And um, the app incorporates a lot of Instagram and TikTok in the sense there's a lot of UGC in it. Could you have done that in ninety in 2010? Maybe that might have been a little bit early because social media was a new thing. But it's an app that presumes everyone takes TikTok and Instagram for granted. And Google is, by the way, Google has just started indexing TikTok videos. So you can imagine now that that right. is an absolute game changer for those that were taking SEO seriously in their TikTok videos. And for someone like Sheen, it's huge. The fact that you type that in now and you see all the TikTok videos indexed in Google on the front page. Well, so one of the ways I was talking about this last year was to say, like the first 50 years of the tech industry is what's a car? What's a computer? What's a software company? What's software? Who should buy this? How does it work? What's a GUI? You know, should everybody have a, what, what kind of computer do people, who will have a computer? How many people will have one? Which is almost sort of what happened with the car industry or the aircraft industry. Like, what's an aircraft? What's a car? What's a car Who company? Who's yeah. going to have an aircraft? Who's going to use this? What's it for? Um, and, you know, in the 30s, you know, all this Huxley, people think that everyone's going to have their own airplane. And they don't, they, you know, if you read Brave New World, I can't remember if there's any airliners in there, but everybody has their own aircraft. So, like, people really didn't know what, knew, they knew everyone was going to have an aircraft, but not like that. Um, and so that's sort of where we got to. We, we, we spent the last 50 or 60 years in computers. Well, what's a computer? And now it's for what happens when everyone has one. And that's what Shein, it's just everyone is now willing to buy fast fashion online. It's also, of course, Shein only exists because TikTok and Instagram came first. That's it. Which is everyone accepts all of their content now, just as. um, And so 
but that and so you're in that that i suppose what i'm getting at is you have these multiple overlapping s curves of deployment where the technology is is pushing far ahead into the future while the tech industry is pushing far ahead into the future and for what it's worth, I found this was really interesting at the beginning of the year where I, I think I, we had briefly spoken about this, but I was on TikTok and I was seeing all of the Shein halls and people talking about what they bought there. And I hadn't mm. seen any coverage of it. And it took like four or five months because the tech reporters writing about technology and Shein weren't actually on TikTok. And so they weren't experiencing this. And so it mm. took five or six months for that to go from TikTok users talking about it to the tech reporters going, oh, there's a huge thing that's happening with Shein. And like, yeah, you're you're six, seven months behind. Everyone else... Yeah, that's because they're 20-something male, white male guys in Silicon Valley. So what fashion? What's, what's fashion? Yeah. Well, I'm not going to be on TikTok. No, but it's true. But so again, but it goes back to that conversation that we're, we're having here, which is all of these worlds colliding mm. and what seemingly might have not been, you know, a tech conversation, but also was already happening by 16-year-old women who were sharing, you know, all of this stuff about mm. Shein and knew way more about Shein than any tech reporter out there, which is fascinating. Well, so the first time I saw this, not to go down yeah. a rabbit hole, but the first, this reminds me a lot of, of Skype. Oh, in what way? Because Skype published numbers, I think in the app, but there were numbers of how big it was. And it took like 18 months to two years for people, for like the mainstream tech telecoms coverage universe to notice how big this thing was becoming. And, the, and and then that happened again with WhatsApp. So every now and then yeah. they would give a number for daily message volume. And the problem with, and I've, this is, we've made this, we did a presentation, we did a podcast about charts. And they would say we'd had 3 billion messages mm-hmm. today. And if you don't know much, but it's hard to work out, well, what does that mean? And unless you're a telecoms analyst, as I was, and you say, well, hang on a second, the entire global SMS system does maybe 20 billion messages, 20, 25 billion messages. So here is this app that's like 10 guys in Palo Alto, and you're doing a third of the size, a quarter of the size, 50%, 60%, 70%, as the numbers keep going. Suddenly, like, and it took until they got to 10 or 15 billion messages a day that people suddenly went hey this whatsapp thing it's quite big isn't it i you see this these are the stories i love like the spillover yeah and you got that with tiktok and you got that exactly to your point with shin and suddenly you see it on the app store chart and you're like what is that thing there and why is it a bit why is it ahead of amazon in the app store chart maybe i should work out what that is in a very it's actually interesting because there's so many of these stories like all of a sudden now i'm seeing all of these tech people and tech writers wanting to write about formula one because the numbers and the growth is absolutely fascinating and they're tying Mm. this to obviously the drive to survive netflix soda is like helping boom absolutely boom the numbers but again like people have been Mm. writing about formula one for 70 plus years and no one in tech really ever Mm. cared about writing i found a couple of articles there's maybe an article a year that comes out just like hey here's some really cool stuff about the pit stops and what they can do in under Mm. two seconds but all of a sudden everywhere i look now um tech people are wanting to write about formula one and i think that that is because formula one has become part of pop culture because of netflix that has created this series so Mm. it's just interesting like all of these worlds yeah well you know when i was growing up channel four couldn't afford to buy any sports so they had sumo and so everyone (laughs) was interested in sumo are you serious (laughs) yeah no channel four used to show sumo wrestling because like no one like you can just imagine the conversation in maybe it was in can maybe you had to go to japan like what do you mean you want to buy sumo no one's ever wanted to buy sumo what, what, do, what, what do we want for it? What have you got? <laughs> sure, we'll sell you some sumo wrestling. Wow. 
Oh, I love that. I suppose the, you know, as one sort of loops around this, there's so many small stories in tech that one could spend time talking about or could one could have a slide on. So, you know, what do we think about um, Amazon Marketplace roll-ups and Shopify roll-ups? What do we think about the fact that music, recorded music revenue has actually been growing for the last three or four years? Where might it get to? It's still only half at the, the, the number it was at the peak in 2000 when you adjust for inflation. But, okay, if we've now worked out a way that people might actually pay for music and then you add Peloton, never mind what happened this weekend, but you add Peloton this week, you add Peloton and you add TikTok and then you add the metaverse and NFTs. And Okay, what is the ceiling for what people might pay for music? Like, it's not going down anymore. Um, what happens to games? Do games go mainstream? Do games break out of the sort of relatively small percentage of the overall digital population that plays games? Um, and then, of course, there's that sort of the, the whole regulation conversation that we've had over and over. Like, how much does regulation actually change the operating structure of, of different industries within tech and how much of it is basically just cost? You know, fines, but cost. Like, Google has to have a bunch of compliance people. Okay, that doesn't change anything for anyone in Silicon Valley. It's just compliance people. It's just cost. It's just money on the EPS. Yeah. Um, how much does regulation actually change how things work? Um, what does the China tech crackdown mean? So there's 20 different questions you can ask, which is, as I said earlier, but but is it valuable for me to say, this is what I think about this and that and this and this and this and this and this? And how much can you place that into some sort of broader structure of everything that's changing and how the, sort of the, the tech industry overall is becoming this sort of universal thing? I mean, the, I was going to say, I mean, the metaphor I keep coming back to is thinking about car, cars, which, you know, when, you know, cars became basically universal technology and transformed the world in all sorts of ways that were, now we focus a lot on the ways that were bad. There were also actually an awful lot of ways that the internal combustion engine was very good for humanity as well. Um, not that it's popular to say that now, but an awful lot of that is not, mechan- most of that's not mechanical engineering. And half of it was intended consequences and the other half was unintended consequences that we had no idea. Yeah, but, you know, teen- teenagers, teenagers going parking in the 50s, and parking quote unquote, that's not really a mechanical engineering conversation <laughs> or, or even an urban planning conversation. Um, and then even what cars did to cities and how Americans, American cities destroyed themselves building freeways and some European cities decided to pedestrianise themselves instead. And those are not mechanical engineering questions. You know, they're not really car industry questions. They're, they're urban planning questions or they're, um, you know, taxation policy questions or they're, you know, criminal justice policy questions. You know, what do you do about drunk driving? Well, that's not, not a mechanical engineering question. And we're sort of at that stage now of just sort of wrestling with, you know, what does it mean that everyone, you know, in the 1950s, 60s, what does it mean everyone has a car? Now, um, what does it mean that everyone has a computer and that we'll do everything with that computer? It seems like what, I've, what I'm hearing from you also is, is like this, I know you've divided it into three buckets, but I'm also seeing it as two like stark contrasting buckets of one, like what is what are people in tech obsessed about, which to your point mm. might take another 10, 15 years to actually be part of an ongoing conversation that we have. But these mm. are the things that we might, you know, roll our eyes up uh, at or look at, but this is insane, but it's exciting, it's sexy, and it's just like cool to think about the future. And the mm. other half of the bucket is just like all of these small things that have fundamentally changed the way that we live our lives, our habits all of that that's probably unsexy but it's the stuff that you and i always just leave with just like an open-ended question there's like so many questions that come out of this of how it's changed the Mm. way we live and go about our days which is really fascinating i don't know there's nothing deeply surprising but it's interesting yeah i mean one of the things one of the things that sort of occurred to me over time i sort of realized over time is that any industry you don't know anything about is full of 
billion, $10 billion companies you've never heard of. Um, so, you know, like whether it's the cement industry or the movie industry or um, the mobile phone industry or any industry. I mean, years ago, I, met, I knew a guy, um, met a guy um, called Omar, who may be listening. Hi, Omar. Um, who had worked for a company that did SIM card provisioning for one, maybe two of the American mobile networks. So you went into the shop, they signed you up in the system, you they you know you spend the twenty minutes running your social security number and your credit card and everything else, and they put it, they give you a SIM card. Um, and this company provided sort of back end plumbing that meant that when you put the SIM card out um, and you put it in your phone, it worked. Um, and that was like a five billion dollar company. And there's so many of there's so many of those things now getting built, particularly in retail and e-commerce. Um, in advertising, they tend to be hundred million dollar companies rather than billion dollar companies. Um, so many of them being built inside HR. I mean, sorry, not HR inside the enterprise. I mean, the, I wrote a piece this summer about digital transformation, basically why it's not. It sounds like a parody of marketing nonsense, but isn't. And one of the sort of the observations is that when you go from renting a mainframe from IBM to running your own data center, you can have a lot more software. In fact, software becomes a thing. Like you know, before in the seventies, software was just like what was on the mainframe. Like you didn't you didn't buy software. I wasn't it. There was no there were no software companies. And when you have your own data center, then you buy software. But then when you go to SaaS you have again an order of magnitude or more more software because instead of it being what's the capacity in the data center and what's the deployment schedule and what version of Oracle does it need and how many CPUs are we going to pay for and we've got to get onto the roadmap, instead it's just no, it's a URL and a login and a credit card or you know, a payment order. But um, And so part of what I've seen sort of in the last five and six years of sitting in pitches with entrepreneurs is just sort of, here is a SaaS, a company that does one very, very specific thing inside large company HR departments. And that might be a billion dollar opportunity. And that could not have existed in the 70s, probably couldn't have existed in the 90s. That would have been part of PeopleSoft or been bought by PeopleSoft or something. But now that's a billion dollar, could be a billion dollar company. Which again is that sense of like, while tech is obsessed with Web3 and Metaverse, there's going to be an awful lot of billion dollar companies that do something that sounds really boring until you describe what it is and you think, oh yeah, I can see how that would be useful. I can see how if I was in HR, I'd buy that. And how do you get the, and so where my head went straight to is like, how do you get those stories told? And look, I experienced this when I was selling campaigning software. Everyone wanted to talk about Cambridge Analytica or data companies. And we're like, oh no, we don't do data. And then all of a sudden the journalist would be like, oh, I'm less interested in you. We're like, no, but we create the software that allows you to run for a presidential position or allows you to run your elections. Like we build everything underneath, but it's far less exciting. Or what we've just been talking about, you actually have to know how an election is run and how you run a campaign to understand that you need all of these HR pieces, that you need all of these elements and these software pieces to actually allow you to run that. I, When I was in Austin two weeks ago, actually for the Formula One Grand Prix, another thing that I realized that was so interesting is everyone talks about the pit crew and the teams arriving, but the guys who lay the cable, like thousands and thousands of layers of cable for mm. everything to be broadcast, arrive a week before. And so these are the guys doing all of the work that you wouldn't know about, that you don't think about unless you actually deeply know the sport, that you know, no, there's thousands of layers of cables that are being laid out so that all of the telemetry can actually come to the pits and then come back to HQ. Mm. 
And so it's all of these things that you're saying, you have to, what you were saying, you're, oh, I need to become a bit of a watch expert, but it's actually just like, there's so much more that we need to understand about all of these other industries that tech is touching on mm. to get us to start thinking about these like fundamental questions that are seemingly a bit boring or that we don't even know are questions that we should be asking. Yeah, it occurred to me that there are um, there are trade fairs for trade yeah. fairs. <laughs> so if you've been to a trade fair, and many of these people, many I, I enjoy trade fairs. Many people do not. I think I enjoy seeing the creative energy. But you have these vast halls full of all of these stands with all of these displays, and that's an industry. Never mind, you know, never mind like the badges and the lanyards and the so- the, chair, the the software and the drinks and and all of that. But like. There it is entire industry in making stands for trade fairs. And so there is a trade fair for people who make stands for trade fairs, um, which sounds very recursive. Um, but that, that's the sort of the, the, the point that, that what's happening now is all of those looping back to the, my sort of point, like there's, there's metaverse and then there is, no, it's a $2 billion SaaS platform for managing your recruiting process. No, not managing your recruiting process, just giving you instrumentation on your yeah. processing of resumes. Not even the whole process. Yeah. And that's a billion dollar company. That could be a billion dollar company because you're now not selling software to I mean it's kind of it's a point I probably make too often, but you know, back in the early nineties there were maybe seventy five million to hundred million PCs on Earth. You know, three quarters of them are in companies. So what's your market? Like you can't build a billion dollar company making that kind of software, but now you can. Well, the people buy now yeah. every company on earth is doing this. And so the size of the market and therefore places where you can create, solve, identify, persuade people as a problem and build something is just vast. And so, you know, back to kind of my point, I mean, the other metaphor was, you know, this sort of phasing, there's what tech obsessed, is obsessed by, there's what tech is building, which is stuff tech was obsessed by 10, 15 years ago, which is just a continuous finding more and more and more of those billion dollar opportunities. Um, the other metaphor that I was sort of thinking about is that like tech is sort of like a, um, a very, um, is like a very, very fast speedboat that's sort of whizzing along a river um, bounce, 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 leaving a vast wake behind it and behind it bobbing up and down in the wake of all these rowing boats that are being capsized or bouncing up and down or bumping into the each Acura. other, which is retailing, retailing, advertising, TV, movies, music business, the books business, music business. The f- I like that as an anal- analogy. That's actually a good one. Well, books were books were first, and then music were next. And books bobbed up and down a bit, whereas music was obviously was completely capsized, and they're still like look like a bunch of drowned rats <laughs> trying to work out what to do. Tell us how you really um, think. <laughs> they just clambered back on. They clambered back onto the boat. Uh, yeah. Um, but meanwhile, the tech industry is going zoom, metaverse, crypto, and behind them, bobbing up and down. Or just kind of gradually working out like what's just happened and their boats overturned and they bumped into each other and there's, there's, there's wake washing over the banks and everyone's trying to understand, okay, now what? It's truly a great way of putting it, yeah. I mean, there's this, there's this old joke that um, consultants are seagulls. So I must have told you this before. I don't think the consultants are seagulls because they fly and they make lots of noise, crap everywhere and then fly then out. Fu- then they fuck off. <laughs> and then they, then they leave. Um, and that's clear. I used to say that's sort of what the tech industry does to the media industry. And so, particularly if you look at something like music, like no one in tech industry cares about music. 
you know, for at Apple and Google, it's it's a small line item that doesn't get very much attention. It's a checkbox feature that's, you know, yes, there's revenue there, and yeah, you do the deals, but like the entire global recorded music industry is what sixteen, seventeen billion dollars. Global online advertising is three hundred billion dollars. You know, Apple has what one hundred and fifty billion dollars of cash. Like music is just a rounding error for the tech industry. Frankly, the same for books. Books is a much bigger industry. But it has no strategic value to Google or Apple or Facebook. You know, even for Amazon, books are maybe like when they stopped disclosing media, I think media was 25% of their revenue. And that was like five years ago. And that was all media. Books are getting out. I would guess books are maybe 10% of Amazon revenue, maybe 5%, if that. Crazy to think that that's how they started. Like it's wild. Yeah. And so this is kind of my point. So the music, the tech industry completely overturned all the operating assumptions of music and books, but doesn't actually care about music or books. They're, but they're, that's it, they're but they've off, moved on to the next thing. The next thing. And this is the same thing now in fast fashion. You know, Google isn't going to build a fast fashion company. Apple isn't going to build a fast, then Apple isn't going to compete with Shein. Like, what? They're making the most of what's in front of them right now yeah. that makes sense, but they don't care, fundamentally care about it. Yeah. They're building technology platforms. I like that. By the way, I think you should, um, because you told me last week, um, you reminded me of Murray Walker, that he's got a great quote that I think you should kick off your annual presentation with, which is, I don't yeah. make mistakes, I make prophecies, which immediately turn out to be wrong. <laughs> which I like it. Now, I'm going to go with, there's nothing wrong with the car except that it's on fire. I think that's yeah. the best Murray Walker quote. Or, um, the lead car is unique, except that the one behind it is identical. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's perfect analogy also for tech companies. Yes. Our tech company is unique except for the next four behind us are exactly identical to us. Yeah, zero, zero, zero filters. Um, zero exactly. filters. I like that. Yeah. I really like that analogy. That actually has, has opened up a bunch of, of ideas and questions for me of like the speedboat and everything in its wake, trying to figure out what to do next and how to make sense of the new, mm. what's just happened. Um, it's just, it's, it's fascinating great. to me. And it's because, you know, of all the conversations that one has about particularly crypto, but also to some extent VR, which obviously Facebook has now wants to rebrand Metaverse, is everyone I speak to in the last couple of weeks wants to know what Metaverse is. No one has the slightest interest in crypto because the whole conversation is so totally separate from the stuff they're trying Siloed. to work out. Yeah. Like I have a store full of clothes and now I'm selling the clothes online. But if I fulfill them through the store, then my margin really suffers because I've got to I've got to pay more staff to double up. If I fulfill them from the warehouse, then I have to pay shipping and maybe same day shipping. What's the balance of those? But on but I need to spend on marketing in order to drive the purchasing. So how do I balance online only versus buy online, pick up in store versus buy in store? How do I work out how much the store is driving? the buy online, pick up in store and the online. How do I work out how to market that, how to communicate to the customer, what the sales and the and the, the logistics model should look like? How do I think about whether I should be ranged on Amazon? What do I think about Instagram and TikTok? Those are your questions if you work for a clothing, clothing store. Do you need to have an NFT strategy? Yeah, maybe in five years. But it's like being in 2004 or three or two and saying, do you need a mobile strategy? Well, at some point in the future, yeah, for the sake of you believe, if you believe that the whole Web3 thesis, which many people listening to this too will, yes, you will need a Web3 thesis. But today you need to work out how you compete with Amazon doing same day free returns. 
And also that mobile strategy today is just called strategy. It is. But my, my point is, if you know, there's such a separation between the stuff that tech is For obsessed sure. with building and yeah. the, and the, and the tech that people outside of tech are obsessed by, which is Shopify. Like, what's the company that everyone outside tech is obsessed by? Shopify, not Naked Ape or Bored Ape or whatever it's called. Like, that's not what the center of Now, your strategy group, your experimental budget, your marketing people, they've got emails from the CEO saying, what's our NFT strategy? But actually, you, you're trying to work out how many more warehouses you need. The, the fun, sexy questions that everyone is talking about are probably not the questions we actually need to be asking ourselves. And it's fine if you do, but you need to try and find a way of doing both, basically. Well, it's a, it's a when question. This is the crucial point. Because in, two, in 1995, if you're a retailer, you probably didn't need to spend much time. If you're, if you're a TV company in 1995, you probably didn't need to think too urgently about people cancelling their cable subscription and buying Disney Direct. You'd be retired before that happened. In 2015, however, this becomes something that you really need to have a clear thinking, a clear strategy about. And that's my point of the time of, the, of that phasing, is that te- that retail that that retail TV and so on um, advertising are now being completely overturned by stuff that people in tech were obsessed by 15 years ago. That's a good place to end. It's a great place to end. <laughs>